0: Filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
1: Well, let's check on this week's political agenda. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hi, Martin. Welcome back to 2020.
0: Neil, good to be
1: back with you. Hey Martin, let's start with a little bit of reflection here over the seas and to the United States where President Donald Trump has ordered state governors there to let churches reopen and there'll be all sorts of arguments as to whether that's premature or uh, all sorts of issues around whether they should have had to close in the first place. Uh, Let's get an insight or two. What are your thoughts on, on what he's been saying to state governors?
0: Well, I I think what he's been saying to state governors is reasonable, given that uh, it's consistent with the general uh, theme of opening up businesses and opening up um, activities in the United States. Uh, And so the churches are not being left out in the cold. The churches are being included in that opening up program. And so uh, Trump uh, and the Trump administration have drafted safe guidelines for churches to reopen Uh, and the strong encouragement to all of the governors is that they've allowed churches to follow those safe guidelines. They've got... um uh, cleaning standards, they've got social distancing standards and all that kind of thing to get the churches open again. Now, of course, that's created conflict because the state governors have all sorts of different ideas, depending on their political persuasions, about whether or not they should be opening up or closing down or, or whatever in between. And you know, there's the whole religion factor in this, and, and, and there's been a little bit of a brain explosion from some quarters of the media just because they uh, obviously have a bit of an anti-church bias and all this kind of thing. I I look at Trump's example on this, and I think it's a good one in this respect, and it is that churches haven't been left out in the cold. He's saying, he actually said a really good thing. He said churches are an essential service uh, doing essential work, and that kind of sense doesn't appear to be here in Australia at the moment. Uh, We're different to America in the sense that coronavirus has, largely by global standards, passed us by. And I don't say that out of any disrespect to those who have uh, actually suffered with coronavirus, but the number has been small and we've been extremely fortunate here in this country. Uh, and now we're looking at basically opening up, <clears throat> not as the US is, with a bit of danger there at hand, but also largely, largely facing a situation where coronavirus is under control. And I see that in New South Wales, they're saying, oh, well, we'll allow pubs and clubs and so on to have 50 patrons and uh, I saw Victoria come out and say well you know you can have private family gatherings of 20 and and I don't see any mention yet of what churches will or won't be able to do and so we're keeping our eye on that and saying and we'll probably be raising our hand a little bit <laughs> like the kid in the classroom saying excuse me <laughs> over here uh, to, to, to to make sure that churches are included equitably in that opening up program, because it's true, churches do provide an essential service, they do essential work, and it may well be that a lot of politicians, a lot of journalists don't go to church, but many Australians do.
1: What it appears to me, Martin, is that uh, churches have an essential role to play in what the world calls mental health. Uh, now, we don't always say what we get do when we get together for church is we work on one another's mental health, but technically that's what we do, making sense of a world, uh, particularly when things go bad uh, like they are now. And so there is a certain sense here in which there's a, a, a bit of a misalignment, isn't there? Because uh, the government, in one hand, throwing a lot of money at uh, mental health programs but not recognising that the mental health of people is really very much a part of what happens in church life.
0: A hundred percent. That is so, so true. And the reason that's important is this, and, and people can lose sight of this. Uh, there's one camp which would say, oh, you want to open up churches? You want to open up businesses? You know, you, you're you reckless. You're killing people. Well, that's uh, a very simplistic way to look at this. There's no cost-free solution to this problem. What you can do is you can do the shutdown. But what's the cost of the shutdown? Well, it's actually catastrophic. Uh, it's economic. Uh, but also, it's mental health. And there's many reports now, including one that I just read last night out of California, where the hospitals in California are saying, you know, we are seeing more suicide attempts at the moment than we have in the last, I think, five-year period mine, or something to that effect, a huge period. And they're saying, well, well, why? Well, because unemployment is well up in the double digits. In some demographics, it's 50%. Uh, people don't have a way to make a livelihood. People are losing hope. Uh, People are afraid. People have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And what's happening is destroying their mental health. And so there's no cost-free answer here. And this is why uh, I think in America, many of the governments are saying, hey, guys, we can't just do a full flat-out shutdown. Um, You know, the modelling that we, we, we got given about this disease, it hasn't come true. It hasn't been quite that serious, even though there are serious problems. What we can do is try and strike a balance so that we open up the economy as much as possible to save lives and so that we are healthy as much as possible to save lives. And churches, you're right, Neil, are right at the epicenter of that, that, that matter of actually fixing people's mental health. And, and, and that's a way to put it that's sort of a very secular way to put it. But nonetheless, it holds true. And it's so important that people have that social contact. It's so important that people worship God. And theologically speaking, what's men and women's biggest problem? It's actually that they're out of relationship with God and in any context, whether that be coronavirus or anything else, that has to be the greatest solution.
1: Martin, when we think of the church as an essential service and uh, when we hear Donald Trump making that sort of assessment about church life, because really that's what he's come out because the governors in the states in the United States have the responsibility of whether they allow churches to open or not. But he makes this statement and sometimes leaders make overstatement. Uh, and he's renowned for it of uh, of putting it right out there and uh, whether it offends you or not but the truth of the matter is that church is an essential service because it's an essential part of how community functions and we can't lose sight of that.
0: Oh uh, completely and uh, the whole uh, fact of the matter is that people are uh, spiritual, people have a soul, uh, the uh, true, Uh, the the true solution to the human condition is to be found in relationship to God. Uh, These are all absolute truths, and as Christians, we know them to be truths, uh, and we've experienced the truth of them in our own lives. Uh, And uh, it's great to see that kind of comment made I think and I think for Donald Trump it certainly appeals to his constituency so you could be very cynical and say well he's saying it because uh, he's got a lot of Christians in his support base but but quite apart from whether that may or may not be true, this is the truth he has stated the truth and I guess I see sometimes um, Christians in Australia being a little bit too timid about coming forward and having the confidence to be able to say that and believe that. Um, I was even looking at some Facebook debates the other day, and uh, people sort of saying, you know, no, no, we should we should not be pushing for churches to open, we should be very meek and mild in our obedience to what the government says. And, and I say, yes, we are to submit to government, of course we are, and we do that. That's why we're all meeting online at the moment. But to advocate for the importance of the church, and the fact that we do carry the answers, there's nothing wrong with that and to try and speed up the opening process in a safe way uh, in light of that, I think is a very good thing to do.
1: Well, it certainly is something to think carefully about. Clubs and hotels uh, opening and churches not being represented in the level of importance that they are to the wider community. Uh, Martin, lots of issues to talk about. Let's uh, talk a little about Queensland for a moment. The Labor government in Queensland abandoned uh, some plans to introduce euthanasia reforms in this term. And, uh, of course, there's a state election coming up on the 31st of October. Uh, What are your thoughts around the abandonment of euthanasia? And uh, I guess we'd all see that as a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very interesting uh, development in Queensland. Clearly, this is not something that Anastasia Palaget thought would be uh, beneficial to her re-election prospects uh, come late October. And I think that that's because there was an inquiry held uh, into this matter earlier in the year. Thousands of submissions were sent in. I know that thousands of submissions came from listeners to Vision and ACL supporters and some people who might be listening right now. Uh, and uh, those submissions were against euthanasia and so the controversial aspect of this has clearly made its way up uh, to uh, Anastasia Palazza and she said well okay we're not going to deal with this until March next year Uh, and so she pushes it past the election. What happens between now and March next year in politics is anyone's guess. Uh, Lots of things can change so it may never happen and uh, that's That's a good political development. It's not the end of the road, but it's a good political development. So for those who participated in that campaign, you know, my sincere thanks because it's had a real impact. Um, But uh, I want to just say a word about euthanasia, and I always just like to do this because we find that this is one of those subjects that people aren't as, uh, they're not as concerned about as so many of the other things that we get involved with uh, because I don't think it's a very big issue. Uh, Or they think that it is, as Campbell Newman said uh, in the wake of this, he criticised Anastasia Palaszczuk and he said that this is just about people's individual freedom, about how their life ends. And if that's all it was, uh, that'd be one thing. Uh, But that's not all it was. And I want to just mention a few stats. The first one relates to, I think a lot of people are indifferent about this or even supportive of euthanasia because they have a degree of fear about the end. Uh, They think that if they had some control... Uh, it would be good for them and it would allay their fears or at least the option. But uh, the data that is put out by even the activists says that uh, for people who have palliative care at the end of their life, something like 3% uh, die with pain. Now, what that means, die with pain, how severe, etc., is all up for debate. But let's pretend that they're right. I've talked to palliative care specialists to that's not right, but let's pretend that they're right. You know, Euthanasia comes along, it's not some utopian solution that solves that problem because as it turns out, they've now had euthanasia in some countries for more than long enough to know that about 3% of euthanasia patients die in fear and pain because there's pretty shocking complications that come from the use and the administration of drugs that are supposed to, you know, quote unquote, peacefully kill you. Uh, and they're not peaceful at all. There's some terrible consequences and and, and psychological effects and uh, slow deaths that come from that. So there's no utopian answer here. There's still a 3% figure either way, and that's being very generous to the activists. Um, The other thing is that people say this is already happening. It doesn't change much. You know, we we already turn off life support. We already do these things that result in people's death. But one of the most useful rules that I heard was from uh, Professor Ian Olver, who's a very well-regarded professor uh, in the area of oncology, cancer treatments, and so on. Uh, And he said, you know, you can tell if something is euthanasia in this simple rule of thumb. If you administer your procedure, your treatment, and then the patient unexpectedly survives that treatment, he said, ask yourself the question, are you now going to kill them anyway? Or are you going to rejoice that they live through it. If you're going to kill them anyway, that's euthanasia because you meant to kill them. That was your motive in the whole thing. Whereas sometimes when you have treatments administered that may have a side effect that hastens a person's death, it's a completely different situation. You're actually hoping and wishing for this person's life to be saved, but you're doing what has to be done uh, in light of the complexity of it. So euthanasia is very different. It changes the whole psychology of the medical profession. You can now kill someone and that is care. You can have a motive to end a life and still be a doctor. Uh, That changes everything. And of course, that opens the Pandora's box we often talk about, which is that eventually after a few years, everything changes. You end up like the Netherlands, where you've got uh, a nine-year-old with muscular dystrophy euthanized. You've got uh, disabled children euthanized, quite a few now. Uh, You have uh, euthanasia mobile units going around to people's houses to kill them and put them in the back of the van and take them away. You have alcoholics euthanized. You have uh, personality disorders euthanized. and, And if people think this sounds crazy, this is all very, very well documented, very well documented. It's happening right across the Netherlands and Belgium and increasingly in other countries that have had this culture of death for a longer period of time. So I raise all of that just to say this is very serious. Very serious. And as Christians, we must get behind the fact that God is the author of life, and God takes life and he gives life. And the best thing we can do is not play God. The best thing we can do is actually trust him for these matters. And that's why these legal policy changes uh, matter. And I think we've had a small win in Queensland.
1: A small win for now and I imagine that puts pressure on the upcoming state election because it will be part of the Labour-Palaché government platform to go into a new term and that would be on the agenda. So I imagine that that's one of those issues that uh, your organisation, the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, will be highlighting for voters in the lead up to the election, Martin.
0: We absolutely will. And one of the things we've got to try and resolve on this is how do we talk to ordinary Australians about it in a way that actually uh, motivates them, in a way that makes them concerned? Because we find that when you talk about this issue politically or you do polls on it, people just don't really care. They go, euthanasia, I don't even know what it is, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and it sounds like it could be useful, air choice, that's a great thing. So it's very hard to talk about this with the average Australian in a way that cuts through. So we're doing quite a lot of research work on that at the moment, and we have a, a pretty sizable budget set aside for the Queensland election, and we will be getting involved in the Queensland election to persuade unpersuaded Australian voters about the importance of these issues and to do it well. And so, and people can actually be involved in that if they go to the APL website and volunteer. They can be part of our grassroots army that's getting that job done. <laughs>
1: So Grassroots Army, you've had some tests on the Grassroots Army in various electorates around Australia. I imagine that with a state election coming up in Queensland, uh, there'll be some level of uh, call for Queenslanders to uh, really get on board with that. So how do you actually join this Grassroots Army and be a part of the process here, Martin?
0: Yep, people can go to acl.org.au and there is a button there that says Volunteer. You can click on that. Fill in your details. In due course, it won't. It may not be in an hour or in a day, but in the next little, uh, little while in the lead up to the election, you will be contacted uh, through an email, uh, through a phone call, uh, and just informed about the activities that are taking place which you can be a part of. And I want to make this point. What ACL is doing is completely different to other organisations. We are taking the message of truth into the public squares to change the minds and to persuade people in our communities who do not agree with us, or or who are unclear about the issues. Uh, There's not many people doing that, there's lots of voter guides that come out, there's lots of information for Christians, for people who are already on the page, who are already aware of these social issues. The work we're doing is in the community, in the streets and suburbs of your local area, to try and get messages to people which will change their mind or wake them up to the importance of these matters, and it works and we need a grassroots army we need volunteers to help us in that it's an exciting thing to do actually there's hundreds of people uh, who are now getting involved in being what i call activists for truth the good kind of activists so if people want to volunteer to be a part of that you know please do uh, and uh, and you know that'll be a great thing to be able to do in the next few months
1: And, you know, for volunteers, we all want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And I know this from experience of people who really get behind vision because they see the potential there. And uh, this initiative that you've got going, Martin, with this uh, grassroots army, a really powerful one, I'm encouraging listeners to become volunteers. As you say, simply go to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au, and uh, look for that link that says volunteer. As you say, uh, hundreds now, but let's anticipate that there'll be thousands in the lead-up to the next election and the elections that are coming around the nation in the years to come. Martin Niles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. The ACL website is acl.org.au. Martin, thanks for the update today on 2020.
0: Thanks, Neil. Always great to catch up.